Welcome to the House Podcast. We hope today's message resonates with you and inspires you as you grow in your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. We're glad you're here. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to those who are with us online. Uh, happy Family Day weekend. Uh, how many get Monday off? All right. Sucks to be the rest of you. Um, uh, <clears throat> I, I have a title for my talk today. And the title for my talk is Do Not Despise the Day of Small Beginnings. It's been a bit of a mantra of mine since January 1. Because in January, my wife signed me up to a bunch of fitness classes. <laughs> and... Um, one of them is called functional fitness. I think it's really what they do in hell. Um, um, they, they, um, the, fir the first day, the, the, the instructor just looked at me with pity. Because like it's, it's a bit of like a yoga exercise, you know, lots of flexibility and stuff. And, and I'm a two by four. Like nothing really bends the way the other bodies in the room bended. In fact, let me, I'll tell you a, a hot yoga story that's <laughs> disgusting and funny all at the same time. It's really happened. Um, so my wife and I, in Lake Country, they opened up a, a yoga studio. And, and I'm not so much into yoga, but I like hot yoga. Because I sweat doing everything. I sweat doing anything. And so at least everybody in the room, I'm sharing the experience with them. And so we go to the studio, and I forgot my yoga towel. So you have a mat, and then you have a towel you put on it. Because as you start sweating, uh, the, the mat gets slippery, right? And, um, and so uh, they crammed a whole bunch of us in this very small room, turned the heat up, and um, they're moving from one move to a uh, you know, downward dog to an upward dog to something else. And my wife says, you are making noise. And I said, what are you talking about? And then I get a shh from the front. You know, now I'm already in trouble. Because she says, you're grunting every time you have to. I said, this is hard. You know, and so we're talking and we're not really winning the favor of the room. And they're trying to create such a zen environment, right? And we've been at it for about 35, 40 minutes. And my, um, my mat is soaking wet. And so we go from an upward dog where your butt is in the air, and we're slowly supposed to go down. My hands and my legs both slipped. And I hit the mat, and I splashed the lady beside me. And she goes, that is disgusting. And the lady up front is still trying to keep the room zen, and I'm wrecking everything back there, you know? So by the time we, everybody marched out, I just sat at the back wall, and they all looked at me like I, I, I suck. And, um, and that yoga I do. Um, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Have, you know what it's like when you, you have a sense of direction? You have a dream, you have a calling, you have something that you really feel you want to give yourself to, you want to move towards. But nothing in life opens up for you. 
Maybe, maybe sometimes a little thing happens and somebody comes along and encourages you. But for the most part, it feels like your life has been put on hold. You can't go back because you're pregnant with the future. But nothing is opening up to confirm what's going on inside of you. It's called liminal space. You're neither here nor there. You're in transition. You're on the threshold. And liminal space is a really hard place to be. But it's where most, if not, I won't say most, is where many, many muscles are de developed that wouldn't be developed in any other space. Let me tell you, if that describes your state of being at the moment, God is working in arenas that you cannot see. He is moving things around, pieces on the board in place for when you're ready, you will simply step into your calling. But it doesn't look like it at the moment. There is a gestation period for every dream. There is a gestation period for every calling. And everyone in this room has a calling. Every single one of us. But to, from the time that you feel that nudge, that call, to the time you actually begin to step into it, there is a gestation period. Zechariah 4.10, God says to Zechariah, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. For when the capstone is put into place, there will be great rejoicing. Let me give you the context for this simple yet profound little verse. Israel has been in exile for 70 years. They've been in exile in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And Zechariah was one of the very first to return from exile. We know him as a priest. We know him as a leader. Can you imagine what he experienced when he came home? He came home to his, his city of Jerusalem, but the city was completely and utterly destroyed. The city was burnt to the ground by Syrian and Iraqi armies. And when he came home, the city was utterly decimated. Just recall in your mind some of the pictures that we have seen on the internet and on the television, on the news, about some of those cities in Turkey and in Syria. They are just rubble. That's all they are. They are rubble. You don't even recognize them as buildings. I think of the, 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 the damage... I think of this, some of those cities in the Ukraine and, and the shots that, the, 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 that we got um, just after they'd been bombed by the Russians. Get that picture in your head and then you'll know just a little bit of what Zachariah came home to. So he's grieving. I think it's important that when you read a passage like this out of, out of the Old Testament, you understand that in ancient cultures, your land... Where you lived wasn't just real estate. In fact, it would be more true to say that the land owned you more than you owned the land. Because the land that you are carving out a life in 
is the same land that gave your parents a life and their parents and generations and generations before you. In fact, you are known by the land that you live on. It is part of your identity. And Zechariah comes home to nothing. And then God speaks to him in his grief and he says, I want you to rebuild it. I want you to rebuild it. <laughs> He's thinking, like, with what? I don't got any money. I'm not an architect. I'm, I'm, I'm not an engineer. Those guys are still in captivity. I'm one person. We don't have laborers or carpenters. They're still in captivity. You want me to build this thing? God knew that it would be easy for him to despise this part of the process. And if God says to Zechariah, don't despise the day of small beginnings, then God must know some things about small beginnings that we need to know. See, beginnings are easily despised because they're notoriously difficult. Zechariah's beginning was difficult. His calling was daunting. And God knows they're difficult. And so that's why he calls us not to despise the day of small beginnings. In 1981, uh, or 1982, I was 22 years old. Um, I had just finished an apprenticeship. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what to do with my life. And I thought the path of least resistance was to become a house painter because my father was a house painter and he had his own company. I thought, I'll just work for you. And he said, maybe, but I won't hire you unless you're a journeyman. So you go find a company to take off all those rough edges and then I'll think about hiring you. <laughs> and so um, at 22, I got hired by my dad to work with his company. I wasn't really passionate about painting houses. Um, it's, it's fun for about a minute, and then the rest of it is just work. There's this high school kid in my church who is really struggling. Like he, he, he sucked as a student. Socially, he didn't have any friends. And man, I totally got him. Because high school and junior high were the worst years of my entire life. They were just the worst. And I've talked about that in the past. And so I could empathize with this guy. And you know, sometimes the most cathartic words a human being can hear is, I think I know how you feel. You're not alone. And so we started talking about, we, we didn't really have a long time to talk. And, um, and I said, I have an idea. Why don't I come by your school, that was John Diefenbaker High School. Why don't I come by your school? Um, my dad and I are, and, and his guys are working in that area. And maybe we'll have a, I, I get a half hour for lunch and I'll meet you at your school at lunchtime. And so I met him and we talked and I just encouraged him. I just kind of told him a little bit of my story and tried to give him some hope for the future. And I'm leaving to get back to work and he said, hey, uh, could we do this again next week? And I said, sure. I got to check with my dad, but sure. And I showed up the next week on the lawn, right at 12. 
And my, my buddy was there, and he brought three of his friends. And he said, can you tell them that story you told me last time? Could you redo that one? I just did a redo of everything we did the first day. And they said, could you come back? And I went back. My, daughter, my dad thought it was valuable, so he gave me the time off to, 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 to do that run every, day, every Wednesday. And I went back. And sometimes there's one person there, but one time there was about 20-some people there. And I show up on the lawn, and we just start talking, and you know, it's a, it was just, just kind of chaotic, but I'd been prepared. I'd been prepared. But what I wasn't prepared for was that the police showed up and dragged me into the school, took me to the principal's office, and was about to charge me with public mischief. And the principal says, what are you doing on my campus? And I said, I'm not here to cause any trouble. Oh, seriously, no trouble. I, I sucked all the way through junior high and high school. And I know how hard it is. And I said, I came to help one young guy about five weeks ago. And these people, they just, that's how hungry they are to be affirmed and encouraged and to, to give them some hope. And the principal said, well, you're doing it wrong because you need permission to be here. And he said, I'll tell you what, he said, put your idea down on paper and bring it to me. And so I did. And he looked at the paper and he said, you know, um, I like it. I like the idea. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you a teaching theater one, one lunch hour every week, and I'm going to sponsor you. And so the September, the next semester, every Wednesday, I had a teaching theater. And again, sometimes one or two people would show up, but the principal was always there. And when nobody would show up, I'd say, you want to hear it? He goes, sure, I'd like to hear it. And so I'd give him my 20-minute pep talk that I prepared all week, um, and then we would just go on with our lives. And sometimes the theater was completely full. You could never tell. You just could never tell. And those, those years, those beginnings were tough, but exhilarating at the same time. They were small beginnings. And I did that in that school for the next three years. And I'll tell you something, you hustle and you hustle and you hustle. I, I, I had to make up whatever time I missed at, my, at work for the time I spent in the school. Nope, nobody paid me for the work, but quite frankly, I'd have paid you to get to do that. That gave me, it was so life-giving for me. I'll tell you that starting something with just an idea is hard. It's hard, it's, it's fragile, it's unstable. It can be lonely at times, but it'll change your life. I went from having never read a full book, an entire book cover to cover, until I was 21 years old, okay, that's embarrassing, to reading ferociously just so I could keep up and have something to say to these students when I'd get in front of them, to, to have something inspiring to say. I just could not read enough after that. By the way, um, five years later, five years later, that one day at John Diefenbaker High School, 
blossomed into a campus ministry of 21 high school campuses. We had five full-time staff and an army of volunteers to help us do exactly that in every high school in Calgary. And it turned out to be a pretty fun thing. Um, you, you may be at the beginning of something right now. I'm, I'm, I bet the farm that somebody in here is just starting something. You've just stepped into it. It's an idea that you've been holding for a while, and now you, 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 you kind of got some skin in the game. Maybe you're at the beginning of a new relationship. Maybe you're at the beginning of a new family. You're at the beginning of something, and, and then you don't really know what to do, but if you despise small beginnings, you lose the treasure that's hidden in small beginnings. Because it seems that everything God does starts small. You and me, look at us. Our beginning was microscopic. Jesus pointed to a mustard seed. And he says, woven into the DNA of that little thing is a great tree. And in the same way, woven into your destiny, or rather woven into the small place that you're in at this moment, is your destiny. Elijah understood something about the way God operates. Do you remember in, in uh, 1 Kings, um, God sends Elijah to the king, King Ahab, king of Israel. And he said, because you're such an idiot, God's going to judge the land. And he's going to withhold rain until I say so. Because of the wickedness of you and your wife. And so for three years, it doesn't rain. And then God says to Elijah, you go back and tell Ahab it's going to rain. And then they, 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 God, Elijah calls the entire nation to Mount Carmel. And there he reveals his glory, he reveals himself in a way that's really powerful. And the, and the nation repents is what God was trying to get to the whole time. And then Elijah and his servant go up to the mountain, up the mountain. Elijah stops just shy of the summit and he gets down to pray. And what is he praying? <laughs> He's praying the exact same words God pray, said to him. God said, it's gonna, go, it's gonna rain. And so Elijah's praying back to God, let it rain. And he sends his servant up six times. And the servant says, nothing but blue sky, boss. He sends him up a seventh time. And he says, well, not much. Not much. There is a cloud up there about the size of my hand. And what does Elijah do? He goes, giddy up. We're out of here. It's going to rain. Because he understands that, that, that God can take little and do so much with it. It was a small cloud, but he knew it was the beginning of the fulfillment of what God had told him would happen. Just because beginnings are tough and unstable does not mean that God is not with you. It doesn't mean that God is not in it. One of the things that really discourages you when you are on chapter one of your journey and you start comparing where you are to somebody who's on chapter 30, that's just soul sucking. That's so discouraging. One of the gifts that, 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 that small beginnings 
gives you is it helps you figure out who your friends are. When, you, when, when you've given everything and invested everything into your start, into the new thing that you're re- really passionate about, you, you don't even have time or money to pay attention. Never mind buy your friend a cup of coffee or lunch. And all you ever talk about is your new adventure. You know how annoying that is? And if your friend sticks around, even with that, it's because they see something extraordinary in you. You keep those friends. Another gift that, that small beginnings is, is that it compresses time for us to figure out who we are. Because when you got skin in the game, and when you got all the skin in the game, you, you, you find yourself working harder. You find yourself more focused, more disciplined. And you realize that there's more to you than you thought. There's more tenacity and resourcefulness and creativity. And you're stronger than you thought. And God works on our character in these times in such a beautiful way, which then shows up when your life is on a bigger stage of influence. Humble beginnings are exactly that. You have to humble yourself. You can't be as snobby or choosy because you just can't afford it. When you don't see yourself bigger than anybody else. And this is the stage at which you begin to set a pattern of trust in God's faithfulness. Because that's all you got. All of these things are absolutely critical to your destiny. To the big picture where you're going. All of these things. There are parts of our small beginnings that are despicable. But what you despise cannot bless you. Who you despise cannot be of value to you. And experiences in life that you despise can't teach you anything. Because when you despise something, you push it away from you. And God's saying to Zechariah, do not lose the miracles and the blessings that I've hidden in this season of your life, in these beginnings It's going to be tempting to despise to the discomfort, the isolation, the loneliness, the pressure, the stress, the sleeplessness. But don't despise it because I'm going to use all of it to shape you and to prepare you for the very thing that you're dreaming about. And so if you're at the beginning of a journey and you're, you're taking a risk, And you're trying something. And nobody seems to be cheering you on. Well, let me just say this to you. Just keep going. You can't see it, but you are getting stronger. You can't see it, but you're developing muscles day by day if you will stay with it. God is in the center of that small space working things out in your life to pay great dividends. He wants the world to benefit when you are operating at your best. 
In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus uh, talked to three servants. And he said, he talked about three servants. He said, one was given three talents, one was given two, and one was given one. And the principle, the, the, the point of the whole teaching is that he said, those who are faithful little, you're faithful in the little places, in the little beginnings, he said, will be put over much. Don't despise being asked to do something little. Because if that upsets you, chances are you'll never be asked to do much. If you're unkind, if you're opinionated, if you're mean, if you're selfish with little, you will be an absolute train wreck with a larger sphere of influence. That's why God loves us so much that you're not getting that promotion because you're a disaster. Well, not, not anybody in this room or watching on TV. I love this. In the book of Revelations, in two chapters, verses chapter 1 and chapter 22, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha is beginning, Omega is the end. But Jesus himself is above time. God doesn't have beginnings. He doesn't have ends, but he created seasons so that we can navigate our lives. But Jesus himself is not subjected to time. But at the very same time, God is the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha of your life, the beginning, he is exactly at that time the Omega. He's not just there at the beginning when he gives you an idea and when the thing is just cooking, then he's going to bless you. He is in every sentence of every page of your story. And in life, there are many alphas and there are many omegas. There are many seasons. There are many initiatives. There are many things that we set our hands to. There are, there, there's alpha and omegas in relationship. There's people that come into your life and then, and then they, 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 they're, they're not in your life. There's many alphas and many omegas. And God already knows the end of your story. So he's preparing you. From what he can see already, he's, he's standing at the finish line. He can see all that you will become. And so he's preparing you for that. When you are in that small place, in that small beginning, that's where he's preparing you. I suggest to you that our, our, your omega is implicitly embedded in your alpha. Just go back to your beginning. For those of us who have lived a little while and had some failures and have had some successes, I look back at the beginning and go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what it was. You know what? I, 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 what I did at the very beginning looks a little bit like I'm doing now. I, I had no idea those elements were consistent. Our outcomes are embedded in our beginnings. Don't forget that. Do not despise this moment of smallness because it will say something to you if you will actually honor it about where you're going. Because God is your omega, he's also your alpha. I want to look at David's life and then we're going to wrap it up. David, uh, from the, the Bible, King David, he had a very small beginning. In fact, I think his life sucked as a child. 
um, his brothers and sisters, I mean, his brothers despised him. We know that. But there's a really good chance that his parents despised him. They sent him to shepherd away from the house, away from home. And that's where he lived. There was a coronation coming to his own house. Somebody was going to be made king. He didn't even know. He didn't even get an invitation. They didn't want him there. Is it because in Psalm 51, the Bible says, I was conceived in sin. And commentators, and they may be right and they may be wrong, suggest that he was an illegitimate child. They, they, they point to his red hair that is inconsistent with kind of all of his brothers. He had a really small start. When he took lunch to his brothers, they told him that he was annoying and he was embarrassing. You know, go away. And so he just, David just moved over to the next person and started talking with them. Started talking with the next person. And the next thing you know, he's talking to the king. And David says to the king, you know, I, I can take care of that problem out there called Goliath. I can take care of that for you. And Saul says, how do you know you can? How do you know? And he said, because you know what? I had a problem just like this. It was a bear that came from my sheep. And I took the bear down. And then a lion came. And, and I took the lion down. And he said, I know the God who gave me the skill to take down the bear and the lion will give me the strength that I need to take this guy down. And Saul, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I said this in the first service, so I wasn't really planning it. But you know how God leads us sometimes? He leads us often by the way of deja vu. Have you ever noticed that? What is, what's happening? David is beginning to feel in his person something that he felt when he destroyed a bear and a lion that wanted to come for a sheep. And he's there before Saul and he's going, I can do this. Pay attention to what is happening in your life right now if it strikes a chord with something that happened previously. Does something deep inside of you register like the last time God moved in your life? Because that's what David was experiencing. Saul offers to give him his armor. And David says, no, I'll stick with what I developed in my small beginnings. What did David develop in his small beginnings? From what we can tell in scripture, two things. He became a great musician. Because there's not a lot to do while your sheep are eating. And so he picked up and he wrote songs. And he played music. And then he'd go get a sling. If he didn't repair it, he'd repair it. If he needed to make a new one, made a new one. And 10,000 times 10,000. Projecting, sending a stone to a, a target. And after 10,000 times, you get good at it. And then you start putting more arm into it. And now this thing is a killing machine. And so David, he, he goes out to Goliath. He doesn't have a sword, doesn't even have a knife. He had no intention of 
going, on, going at it with Goliath in hand-to-hand combat. So he goes out to Goliath. And I wonder if he was thinking, you know what, all of a sudden, I'm starting to understand what all of those lonely, lonely years with the sheep were about. Because God doesn't, Goliath doesn't realize that God is elevating me today with the, with the same things he developed in me in my small beginnings. He's going to use the exact same things. Canyon, I'm going to invite you and the, the team to come on up. Had David despised his small beginnings, despised the sheep, despised the job, and, and ran away from it to something else, if he didn't learn to play and learn to write music, if he didn't learn and get skilled in, 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 in his sling, Israel's history would sound very, very different today. And so as, um, as the band comes up, I want to do something. I don't usually do this, but I want to pray for you. Um, and in a minute, I'm going to ask those of you in the room, if you are, find yourself and in a small beginning, and, and, and it just seems so insignificant, but you know you are where you're supposed to be, and yet nothing's opening up for you, and then I'm going to ask you to stand up. There are some of you in here that have been asking eyes to see what you should do with your life. Asking God to open up your understanding so that you will know where to point your life. But nothing's there. I want to pray for you as well. And then lastly, I want to pray for those who are like me. You've lived a life. But you're pretty sure there's more. You know, the clock says I should retire. Uh... You know, there's, there's a lot of things that our culture says about me and, and those of us who are in our 60s. But is that what God is saying about you? And some of you are already dreaming a dream. And some of you don't have a dream, but you know in your knower the change is coming. I'm going to ask you to stand up. So if any of those three descriptors reply to you, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And why am I asking you to stand up? I want you to stand up and say, I'm going forward. I'm asking you, God, to wake me up, to lead me on.
first the challenges of feeling stuck. But we recognize that you, you who started the work will complete it. We give you thanks for that. And Father, for those that cannot see, Jesus' name.